0: is it really that important to eat organic what is conscious parenting does homeopathy actually work oh god the flu how do i beat it naturally how do i prepare for birth what are the benefits
1: of meditation
0: this is healthy happy home the podcast community that offers discussions and solutions for a fully conscious and integrative approach to living and parenting we will explore and open up the topics of natural health and well-being holistic parenting consciousness and work-life balance
1: to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. We're so grateful that you're joining us on this journey. We'd love it if you could take the time to rate, review, and subscribe. It will help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller
0: mega home are kindly offering listeners of the healthy happy home podcast a five percent discount just use the code hhh5 at checkout thank you to mega home
2: looking for a wellness break in the uk Well, you're in the right place At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Welcome to Healthy Happy Home. Um, We are here today to talk about what really this podcast is all about, a root cause and individualized approach to healthcare. And we're fortunate enough to have the functional medicine doctor, Debbie Lewis, here with us. Debbie is a member of the Institute of Functional Medicine and is a registered nutritional therapist with the British Association for Nutrition and Lifestyle Medicine. She runs private clinics in London and Hereford and has a particular interest in women's and children's health.
0: Debbie is also a qualified social worker, natural family planning teacher, auricular acupuncturist, life coach and NLP practitioner. She's a visiting lecturer in functional medicine and complex case analysis on the Nutritional Therapy MSc at the University of Worcester, a clinical practice assessor and the Regional British Association for Nutrition and Lifestyle Medicine supervisor. Basically, if you're unwell, she's the person you want to see for a complete holistic and integrative approach. And we got her on because she is actually my functional medicine doctor who sees my children as well. Um, So I know that she is absolutely brilliant. And we'd like to welcome you and thank you for coming on Healthy Happy Home.
3: Yeah, real pleasure, Lauren and Tilly. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You're so welcome. So I guess... The first question that some people may be asking really is, what is functional medicine? And we'll, we'll just hand over to you and let you crack that wide open.
3: Yeah, sure. So my first um, primary training was actually in nutritional medicine. So um, my first master's was very much focused around using nutrition and lifestyle to support people's health. Um, But actually, when I started moving into practice um, and was practicing for a little bit longer, I was really starting to see that lots of the people coming to see me had quite a lot of of complex um, disease in their body. And really, I needed to understand a lot more about the very sort of in-depth part of biochemistry in the body and how it works. And so really, then I started to train with the Institute for Functional Medicine. And functional medicine is really... um, A sort of fancy way of of taking what we call a systems biology approach and what we do in that is rather than compartmentalizing the body into sort of separate areas like you see in traditional medicine so you might see a cardiologist or an endocrinologist or gastroenterologist, As a functional medicine practitioner, we're looking at the whole body as a system, so we don't identify or pick out individual bits of the body. So we're looking at the body as a functioning whole and understanding that when things go wrong, they may be affecting um, lots and lots of body systems as part of that. So it's very much an integrative approach that sees the body as something that needs to work together. And that's the sort of functional part of it, like how do we restore the overall function of the body without just separating it into sort of different organ systems. Um, the difficulty with it in some way as a practitioner is you can't just know a lot about one really specialized area. You need to know a lot about everything. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating area of work because what I've really started to see in my years of practice is that when we approach health from a very more systemic way of understanding how the body works, then everything just starts to work better together. Yeah.
0: I I just I know that's true from my own experience as well and I think Tilly will agree also that you just you can't I have found for me or I think this is for everyone when you try to treat one thing in isolation like you say you know if you can have lots of different problems going on you go to see the cardiologist for that and the dermatologist for that and the gastroenterologist for that no one's kind of working together to see that everything is coming from the body which is one vessel Yes. And kind of, you know, conflating them all into one, you that's know, to, to treat this one body. So I think that that's why it makes so much sense to take a functional medicine approach.
2: And you, and you and
0: so what you're doing
2: is looking at what's really going on with someone. Why they're getting these rashes? Why they're getting headaches? Why have they got constipation or fatigue? And and so so when someone comes and says to you like. Uh, I don't sleep, I'm super anxious, I'm not eating well, or, you know, so what do you do then? How do you sort of go, okay, well, where am I going to start? Do you go, okay, let's start with the stress, or let's start with the irritable bowel, or how do you, where do you start with someone when they come with their range of
3: issues? (laughs) Yeah, so we um, use very much this sort of analogy of a tree in the sense that that the symptoms that people come with, the headaches or the migraines or the itchy skin or the irritable bowel, are very just much like the leaves on the top of the tree going brown. And a conventional approach might just be to sort of chop the leaves off or paint them a different colour so you can't notice them. But what I'm looking for is actually much, much deeper down in the trunk and into the roots as to what has led to these leaves being brown. And that is a very individual approach, Tilly, in the sense that many people will come to me with, say, migraines. And my job is not to just go, oh, great, you need some magnesium. It's like, what has actually led to these migraines happening? And that will be really, really individual for every single person that comes. So what I do in my clinic is I always start with a timeline. So I'm always, you know, I take an hour with everybody who comes and I want to know everything that's happened to them from the point that they were born and before that, in terms of what happened with their mother during their pregnancy and their parents' health, up to this point now where they've got a collection of symptoms. And my job's a little bit like a detective. My job is to kind of work out all these things that happened to this person to bring them the point here. And what I'm looking for are things like triggers, Um, stress, pollutants, environmental issues, pregnancy moves, um, antecedents, things that might have happened in terms of their genetics. I'm going to be looking at their environment, what they're going to be eating. And my job is to kind of put all those bits together to try and understand why in this moment, this person has got migraines. And it's very, very different for every person that I see.
2: Well, you're like a detective. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you find then that you get longer lasting results? Do you find that people, once you've worked with them for a certain amount of time, and, and it does take time, doesn't it? It's not just an overnight thing with functional medicine or kind of with anything at all. But do you find that after you've worked with them
3: extensively, that then they go away
0: as healthier people generally?
3: Yeah, completely. Because I'm, I'm not... I try to not be too distracted by the symptoms that people come with because mm. my job is to actually find out a bit more underneath what's happening with the body. And people, I think that's possibly, for some people, a very different way of approaching it because we are very diagnosis orientated. People mm. want to know what has happened to them and to give it a name and a label. And I, and I really understand that because you know, for some, it is very much, it's comforting when we know somebody has got a diagnosis and we know what it is. But that said, that naming of those bunch of symptoms does not identify for me or that person what led to that happening. So if we're not too distracted sometimes by the symptoms and actually looking more at those underlying processes in the body, then actually, yes, we're affecting change at a very deep level rather than just going, great, I've got rid of your itchy skin. You know. So is it is it sort of like a bit of therapy as well with what
2: you do, like an intuitive thing with people that when they come to see you with their problems, you have to think about that, that's their sort
3: of mental stuff as well then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm looking for patterns, I think, you know, I, I have an understanding about the body and how it works and why some symptoms might be, um exhibiting themselves in certain areas of the bodies and then I'm looking for patterns and that's all really based on this systems understanding. So the types of things I'm going to be looking for would be say um, the endocrine system and how are hormones being moved around and can I see if there's a problem with that and what's happening with the digestive tract and people able to absorb things adequately and what's happening with their detoxification symptoms is there something in their history or their life that's making me think that their liver might be struggling so I'm looking more for processes in the body rather than external symptoms yeah you want to get the whole body the whole system flowing really well It's funny because I, I, what I mentioned earlier
2: when we weren't recording was I, have, I saw a naturopath many years ago and she kind of helped me work out what suited me and what was working for me with food-wise food and drinks-wise and the things that I was doing. And I felt like after working with her for quite a long few years, I don't see her very often now because I think I know now what sort of suits me. If I have a problem, I'll go back. But you to say what Lauren was saying, so people come and see you, and it takes a few a while to sort things out, but then they know what suits them yeah. and and then they can be well and energetic for afterwards. Is that kind of yeah. how how you hope for people to go yeah
3: oh a hundred percent, and i I'm really keen I mean the, the piece of my work that that I enjoy the most really is that. I spend a lot of time with the people that I'm working with talking to them and helping them understand the function of their body and how their body is working and the biochemistry behind it. Because I think, that as generally, I mean, there's a particular issue, I think for women, you know, in the sense that very often our health conditions and the things we experience are kind of put down to stress or or mental issues or the menopause um, and women's health in many areas is very, very underserved. And I think a lot of that comes because we don't have any particular in-depth knowledge about how our body works. And I think that really in terms of supporting people's health long-term, we need to really encourage people to understand their biochemistry, like actually what is happening with their menstrual cycle over time? Like what is estrogen and progesterone doing? And I would probably spend a lot more time explaining that to people than saying, e- eat more broccoli because you know, that's the kind of content that most people can find online in terms of what they should and shouldn't eat. But very much of us, are, we're very poorly served in terms of you know someone actually explained to us how our body works. And I think that, that when we understand how our body works, that's what gives us long-term health because we're able to associate more about what's happening to us. Wow. Yeah.
0: And that really is then a root cause, individualized, functional approach to medicine or to healthcare, isn't it? Because... You know, I I just don't think that any of us can ever get healthy without understanding the body's processes. So, you know, if you've got a chronic, if you've just been diagnosed with a chronic illness and you go to, you know, you go to an allopathic doctor and they, you know, treat, they're going to give you a drug that kind of masks the symptoms as opposed to actually treating the root cause. And then what that's doing is then leading to secondary conditions because the body is crying out. So I don't, I I truly believe that without addressing the root cause and understanding the body's physiology, I don't think any illness, acute or uh, chronic, can really be cured.
3: Yeah, and I think that we also culturally are encouraged to not ask questions mm. about our health. You know, we kind of go to see a doctor or a practitioner and we're sort of told what to do. And then we just do that, you know, the, the number of people that I come to see that um, come to see me, I mean, actually most people and, you know, myself included in this before I started the work that I do take medications and we have no idea what they are. Like we've never asked, like, what does this actually do? How is it actually working on the body? What are the impacts of that? happening to us? What are the long term implications? How does that medication interact with another medication that I'm taking? And I think in some ways we're also very actively dissuaded away from asking questions about our health care and, you know, asking more of the people that serve us in terms of health about what are we doing and why are we doing this? and what else could i do and what would happen if i took that medication because we don't have the 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 knowledge to be able to ask those questions confidently
2: yeah we don't have the confidence people don't have confidence do they it's funny because i was saying to my daughter it's really amazing our bodies are so brilliant and they can just do so much but we really don't know enough about what's going on it's just it's something do you think though with the doctor if you go and see the doctor you have five minutes whereas if someone comes to see you they have an a good hour yeah, and, and you know that's a that's a good starting point, I suppose, isn't it?
3: I mean, it's got to be, hasn't it? Because all this stuff does take time, and when someone's coming to me in their sort of late sixties, early seventies, that's seventy years worth of life to unravel, and you know, to really do something in depth and work out a root cause, it's it's not possible to do that in five minutes. It just it isn't. You can't work with seventy years worth of information in in such a short time span I mean all you're ever going to get is a plaster you know yeah
0: do you think that's the reason why people are getting sicker I mean I know there's many reasons for that and I do want you to touch on that but the fact that there is so much illness nowadays and people are just going to the doctor and the doctors are just putting a band-aid on it and then these people are having to go back and back and back and back
3: yeah I, I do and I think um the the life the medicine system that we we currently have here is still a medicine system that is 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 primarily dictated around an infectious disease model you know, it, it, the NHS, when it was created, was designed to support people in terms of infectious disease. And it was brilliant at doing that, because infectious disease was the, was the issue that we were all having, and people were dying from infectious diseases. So, you know, a model where you turn up to a doctor and they look at your rash and go, yes, that's what that is, and here's a medicine to do that, was actually perfect. You know, that is a really good model for dealing with infectious disease. But people do not have infectious diseases at that same kind of level, And what we're looking at now in the population is chronic lifestyle-related disorders. You know, these are lifestyle-related. They're to do with how we live, our environment, the stress we're under, the food we're eating the pollutants in our environment. And so if we sort of turn up at our doctor who's operating an infectious disease model and trying to name something and then give you a pill for it, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the doctor or the healthcare system fault that they can't cope with chronic lifestyle related disease because that's not what it's set up for. Mm. Um, and all the conditions that I see that people come to see me in clinic are, are lifestyle related. You know, they are, they are diseased as a result of how we live how we feed ourselves um, and how our bodies are reacting to the environment that we're in. And so
2: but the lovely thing about, I mean, the good thing about that is that actually these are things that we can manage and adjust by eating better, by realizing that you're stressed, by, you know, going into the nature more, by, you know, by taking, looking at what you're taking and why you're taking it. So you can, it's, it's, it's something that people can heal themselves with yeah. obviously with guidance from you initially but moving forwards, it's something we're not fighting this big war on disease We're we're actually just able to strengthen our own immune systems that's something me and Lauren are always talking about just strengthen your immune system mm-hmm. just keep your immune system strong mm-hmm. and that is really the you know the the answer for this this this
3: year this lifetime for yeah. us isn't it it's it's really powerful Tilly isn't it Yeah, you know it, it's really powerful
0: and um, empowering because it makes us realize that we can take our health care into our own hands. We have the ability to make ourselves healthy. Yeah. Um, and like you say, you know, the model, it's not, it's not kind of giving medicine a bashing. It's just that the model isn't set up to, um, to support health really. it's to At support- the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's to support it- disease, not to support for health, so it's uh, it, it it gives us that opportunity to understand that actually we can do that ourselves and with someone like you, and and I think it's difficult because we live in a country where healthcare is, you know, quote unquote free, um, so when something isn't free, people their initial thing is well I can't afford that and it's too expensive, yeah and you know, kind of how do we work around that? Because I, you know, there are obviously going to be people that genuinely cannot afford to see a functional medicine doctor. Um, I think sometimes we also, we can have our priorities a bit skewed. um, And that obviously for me, you know, all my priorities are health first so you know beginning it's, of each month it's supplements my superfoods you know etc etc whatever practitioner i'm seeing that month and kind of everything else comes second to that but i know not everyone's able to do that how can we manage a
3: kind of this sort of lifestyle um financially yeah i mean i the, the people that tend to come and see me in clinic um you know, people tend to pay for healthcare when they've tried everything else and it doesn't work. So the people that actually I get to see as a practitioner tend to have Quite a significant level of, of discomfort or disease in their body enough to pay in order to find somebody to help them because no one wants to pay for it unless they can get it for free so I'm really aware that that of the population I'm seeing this right but there is a very another large part of the population that often just some really simple changes can have quite a significant impact on on their overall well-being and how they live and one thing that, that I always talk to people about that you know, every time you eat is, is an opportunity to feed your body with information that's mm-hmm. going to change your biochemistry and how your cells react to your environment, just the simple act of eating, you know, food is information to our body. And I think people often forget, and I, you know, that, that everything about your whole, your body runs is dependent on the food that you're eating. It's, yeah. it's that simple. Like those molecules, those chemicals, those phytonutrients that you're absorbing in your food is sending information into your body that tells it how to work so yeah. you know very simple changes in how people eat and eating i've always have this thing about just eating food like single ingredients mm-hmm. for food can have a really profound effect on on people overall health just gentle movement taking enough rest um you know all these things are not expensive actually and we're all doing them anyway we're all sleeping we're all eating and we can all walk a bit more if yeah. we're and it's one. When-
2: it's funny as well, because I always think that I, I will spend money, say, going to yoga or, you know, buying some supplements and stuff like that. But then I very rarely get ill for a very long stretch of time. So you think, well, the amount of time that if you get sick quite regularly and you miss work and you can't do that, that you're losing much more financially that way by being sick than actually just spending a bit more on yourself sort yeah. of on a kind of monthly basis. Really, it's more of an investment into the preventative healthcare is what we're doing really lauren isn't it
0: yeah and and also you know coming back to what you were saying before about people um come to you as a last resort and that's such a shame isn't it because i think our one of our main reasons for doing this podcast was to empower people to take their healthcare into their own hands mm. and uh, to understand this you know really really we are all about a root cause individualized approach to healthcare and taking it into their own hands so if people kind of took that uh, advice and started taking more responsibility for their health, then they wouldn't get to that point where they've exhausted all of the other options and have to then come and spend fortunes on seeing you over a long period of time. Because if you can see a functional medicine, one, a functional medicine doctor once every few months or a naturopath once every few months, or even once a year, maybe, you know, then, then it, it's, it's totally affordable.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, and it is, I think and for me, um, I'm always thinking about how do I help people understand why it's important to do this rather than just telling them what to do. Yeah. I think so much motivation for change comes because people understand why they need to do it. And so in that way it moves away from blaming this old oh, people just aren't eating and they're just not exercising more. I think the problem is is not that people don't know what to do, they just don't know why they should be doing it. Yeah. You know, and that that's the key point. We need to understand why And when we understand why, then we will take the action. And I think because in many ways, we've been used as a culture to just getting sick and turning up at the doctor's office and getting a pill and being made better. And I think that's not just an individual choice. I think collectively, we're encouraged to not necessarily take that responsibility and understand. It's funny,
2: one of our guests that we had on the podcast before, Thomas, um, um, Olivia, he said that people in his book, he said that people think that taking action towards their health is actually just getting in their car and driving to the doctors, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, Oh, I'm taking, I'm doing something about my health. I'm going to go and see the doctor. But actually it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's what you eat every day. It's every time you take an orange, it's every time you, you know, you eat so many times a day that you can just, you can look after yourself all day. And like we know, Lauren always says, well, like if you, if most of the time you eat really well, then it doesn't matter if you have a coffee or cake or, or stuff at other times because your body's very powerfully able to deal with a few toxins isn't it but yeah you know if, if, yeah if most of the time you are looking after yourself then you can deal with everything
0: really yeah. anything that comes at you yeah that's what that's what balance is isn't it yeah but then i so the question is i guess because we're kind of promoting this and advocating it and you're saying, Debbie, that, you know, that it's, it's trying to understand why people are doing that and trying to give them the information to understand their own bodies. But how do we, you know, OK, we've created a podcast to get this information across. But really, how do we get this information across in a way that people really start listening and taking note? Because all we're seeing now is a rise in chronic disease, um, mental health issues. I mean, people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker and still it feels like i mean i do feel you know it, it, taking an optimistic look at it that there is a definite shift happening because more and more people are waking up and you know the wellness movement is a movement you know mm-hmm. the well-being movement um people are waking up but on the whole the general public find it quite difficult to accept that maybe a conventional approach to medicine isn't the right way to be and to take these preventative steps. And I just always wonder, you know, always thinking, how can we get this information out there? How can we encourage people to do these
2: things for themselves? Maybe we have to break down the systems. Sorry, this is, that was a question for Debbie, not me. But I was (laughs) Maybe we have to go, right, this week, we're going to talk about the endocrine system. This week, we're going to talk about the lymphatic system, this, you know, like break it down and explain why this has an effect on this because I mean I mean I
3: don't know it myself I'd like to hear that and and I I really agree with you Tilly and and as you know part of the work that I do is I do one-to-one work but I also run um retreats And actually I'm running a kind of women's health retreat in in June where I'm actually gonna do that over a week. So instead of just going eat this, try this, do more exercise, I'm actually breaking down the whole body into the different systems and explaining how does your sex hormones work? How does your adrenal function work? What is your endocrine system? How does your gut function? And actually just take that time to do that. And um, I'm also running another one um, that's kind of coming up in the spring where we're actually gonna be talking about detox detoxification in the sense that what is your liver and what is phase one and phase two and what are all those nutrients that mean that the body can you know glycate and sulfate and methylate and all these very kind of complicated terms but what does that actually look like and how does it actually work because when you see that actually the liver needs a really good supply of amino acids and proteins in order to detoxify what you then think about a detox being then changes yeah because you understand the mechanisms and you understand the biochemistry and that 's a very um, key piece of my work that I think is very functionally based in in say the Institute for Functional Medicine, you know, we're very keen on making sure that people understand the biochemistry because you have to teach people this and yeah. um, people have to sort of want to know it really. And my, my experience is people are really interested, yeah. you know, and most people can get a really pretty good grasp of what I'm talking about. You know, people, I think people are actually really pretty clever if you. Yeah, think, um, absolutely. Information.
0: That's, that's amazing though about the retreats. Cause I've seen your emails for your retreats and they look amazing, but that's, What's incredible about that and so unique, and wow, I want to get everyone to go on your retreats now, (laughs) is that you're really kind of spending a week with people, teaching them, you know, they don't have to go and do a three, four, five year degree. But you're just giving them the understanding of their bodies to go away after that and go, Right, I can put this into action. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. Yeah, exactly. anyone can
2: do you're that. sharing, yeah, you, you, what you want, you, what you're doing is sharing the knowledge to people, so that's that's really great. Yeah. I want to come,
3: I'm afraid go. it's full. <laughs> 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 yeah. Another one, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, I mean, we're looking to win another one next year. Um, this one is, is all full up, but. Yeah, because it's always about, and I suppose this comes a little bit from my coaching and NLP background, that, that I want people to understand why they need to do something, because the government for years has been telling people what to do, and people aren't doing it, and I think that's because we don't understand why. Yeah. When you
0: say when you say the government's been telling people to do things, you mean diet wise, or
3: yeah, or just in the kind of you know the whole eat less, move more. Like everyone needs to eat less, move more. You know we need to eat less, you know, food, do more exercise. That's going to you know create a type two diabetes decline somehow by telling people to do that. But no one. The people that come to me with a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes no one's actually explained to them what's happening in their body what's happening with their insulin receptors and how that's impacting on their pancreas and why having high levels of HbA1c so high levels of glucose moving around is causing inflammation in the veins and the arteries and why that's a problem you know? And so when somebody then leaves my office and we talk about maybe a low carbohydrate diet and increasing the protein and fat and doing some gentle movement, suddenly all those telling them what to do makes sense. Mm. They've understood what happened to their body to end up with a diagnosis of type two diabetes.
2: Yeah. And, And if you want to study to
3: be a functional medicine doctor, how do you... How would you go about it? You- yeah, so so in the US, um, the, the Institute for Functional Medicine is primarily a clinician-led um, training organisation. So you need to be um, a trained doctor in the US to do that. In the UK, as nutritional therapists, we are, um, because we have... Uh, clinic assessed clinical practice as part of our training we're actually able to apply to the Institute for Functional Medicine and it's uh, mine's taken me four years to do it and I'm just about to finish my certification exam in June and I think there's only about 35 people in the UK that are certified IFM so it's a pretty long thing it's a lot of work and a lot of training but um
2: and yes. quite new then as a concept then, because I was, like I said before, mentioned before, I saw a naturopath and I wasn't sure what the difference is with functional medicine and naturopathy, although I'm saying that wrong, aren't I? Nat- naturopathy. How do you
3: say that? <laughs> I, I mean, the, the term functional medicine was coined in, in the 80s by a doctor called Dr. Jeffrey Bland um, who was seeing a kind of big increase in the US of these chronic lifestyle related diseases. And he was very concerned that the current healthcare system was not addressing what he saw coming up. And it is just what I would call a systems biology approach. Functional medicine is just the name that he gave to it. And then that kind of way of thinking has developed over time. I think what's different about functional medicine um, perhaps compared to what a naturopath would do. And that said, there are many naturopaths also do a lot of functional testing. We also use a lot of functional labs. So what we're doing is using nutritional therapy, naturopathy, um, lifestyle medicine, and then we layer on top of it the availability of functional labs, which is, is a real um, a very useful piece in the bit where I can be effective. So it's not the type of testing that you would get through the NHS, but we can look at things such as functional spool analysis where we can get an idea of what the overall microbiome of the gut looks like. We can check pancreatic function, inflammation, parasites, yeast. Um, we can run testing um, such as uramine metabolites of hormones so we can get an idea of the whole body's adrenal function. The body's processing hormones things like organic acids that give us an idea of the body's whole metabolic processes from the liver detoxification to neurotransmitters so we can kind of layer the sort of best available functional scientific labs on top of all the other stuff that, that we can do and I think that's probably the little sort of golden nugget yeah. I do that maybe other people might not
2: yeah, and, and brilliant that that science is available and not as expensive those tests would have been maybe 20, 30 years ago. So actually, you're kind of using modern technology.
3: Yeah, with yeah. Your, with your interpretations. It yeah. does, and it gives me, as a practitioner, it, it's incredibly helpful because it gives me um, a very targeted way of approaching something. So if somebody comes to me, for example, with IBS, you know, I will always be able to find out what that problem is, not because I'm a, like an amazing practitioner, but I will run a gut test and there will definitely be something in there that's causing that problem. And it would allow me to identify whether that problem, for example, would be too much yeast and not just too much yeast. What kind of yeast is it? And running a sensitivity profile to know what herb I might need to use specifically to get rid of it or if it's a parasitic infection like a protozoa or just not enough bacteria or the pancreas isn't working properly. So the eyes, a practitioner can be super specific. And it means that I don't need to necessarily use like broad spectrum herbs or just go, I think you've got a parasite, do a parasite cleanse. It's very targeted in that kind of way. Um, and I and, think very useful.
2: And do normal, like would a regular doctor have use those tests when they, when they see people? Not no, more? no, they wouldn't, no. Well,
0: even when we, when we took Brax to, um, for his, you know, he's got this feeding disorder and, we... Sorry. and when I told the pediatrician that, um, we were going to be, he, the pediatrician wanted to take stool samples. And when I said we were doing that with our functional medicine doctor, he said, oh, I'll better do it through them because they're going to get a much uh, more comprehensive overview than we will hear. Yeah you know and that, and that, that was a private pediatrician it wasn't nhs but just the mm. conventional model as a model whether it's private or nhs it still kind of works under the same uh, uh with the same kind of um
3: model isn't it <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the, there's no there's no scope no the, the 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 kind of the process is similar in the sense that they're going to go on maybe Calprotectin and look for inflammation and they might red blood run blood, and they're looking to see, have you got inflammatory bowel disease or cancer? Yeah. That and was
0: if, it. Was, have you got Crohn's? Have you got
3: colitis? Have you got cancer? That's it. That's it. Because again, it's this sort of infectious disease model. It's like, can I diagnose something? And if you haven't got that, then you've got IBS is mm. what happens to the people. The label, yeah. um, and I say to them, you know, it, it will be something we will run it and find there will be something that that isn't right that we can support your body with but what we're looking at is more of a a functional disorder with how the butt's working rather than a pathology.
0: Let's talk about IBS for a second because I see IBS as being this kind of umbrella term, this kind of non-real, not that it's the symptoms aren't real but the the label is literally just a, when you don't know what's wrong with the person and you're not looking for a root cause, we label it with IBS. And so lots of people have IBS because lots of people are having stomach issues because lots of people's bodies are crying out because of how we treat our bodies. So that's my view on it. I like you yeah. to talk about IBS a bit because so many people have IBS today.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I would... 100% agree with you, Lauren. I mean, to IBS to me is not a diagnosis. It's it's what I call a kind of bucket diagnosis. A little bit similar to, for example, to fibromyalgia. You know these diagnoses. I was going to say that, and I don't <laughs> want to
0: offend anyone by saying that because I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at one point. Yeah. And through the course of the years of of, of the work that I've done on my body. I came to the conclusion that those two diagnoses that I was given amongst lots of others, IBS and fibromyalgia, were kind of non-things. It was a way of giving someone something to make them feel like they could now relax because they now know what's wrong with them, when actually it was far
3: from that. Yeah. I mean, there's no diagnostic tool for fibromyalgia other than, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a kind of diagnosis by exclusion and then, you know, suppressing certain parts of the body and then getting a reference in terms of pain. It just means chronic pain throughout the throughout the body Um, and I agree with you it's it's not saying that those symptoms aren't real because they they are real but that diagnosis does not tell us anything about what's actually happening in the body and the same for IBS Um, and I say that to my patients when I come in there will be something going on Um, and I I do always find out what that is and it, it is always fixable. you know and I'm not saying that because I could say to make myself, sound very grand, but there will be something that you can find that's going on in the gut that does isn't working right that can be resolved it's incredibly useful for me when people do go to their doctor and they might have a colonoscopy and they've excluded that there's anything happening that a doctor would be the most appropriate person to help them with and if that isn't the case then functionally we can find out what that is and support the body to fix it and as I said from you know it it will be a number of different things and for example things like sword testing is very or very easy way to do that. I mean, the other pe- thing that I do with people, IBS often sometimes before I even do a stool test would just be a really, really consistent elimination diet. Mm-hmm. And For some people, um, a consistent elimination diet for a month actually gives them a really good experience of how their body is reacting to foods. I, I very, very rarely do any type of food sensitivity testing. Um, for me, the gold standard really is a proper elimination diet. And in that point, people can really start to become an expert in observing how their body responds and that in and of itself is an incredibly useful experience for people to do to realize that they can become an expert on their own body's function rather than necessarily looking at a set of lab results and using that to, to work from so um yeah there's a, i see a lot of ibs and um, something i work with a lot in the clinic
0: yeah, I think the elimina- elimination diets are really kind of empowering, like you say, because they get us to understand our own bodies a lot more yeah I do you find that it, people find it quite a daunting prospect to have to eliminate things and, and and I know people that I work with as well find generally just the idea of eliminating these kind of non foods or, or the, these kind of common things that the common triggers gluten, dairy, refined sugar. You'll find it very, very daunting.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean I'm I'm lucky in the sense that when people come to see me in clinic, they they're, they're- pretty motivated <laughs> <laughs> they, they are genuinely and so when I've explained to them the reason that I wanted to do it for example what we're going to do is take the load off your body and then see how your body reacts because there are some people that I see that I will literally do a sort of an elimination diet and then balance their blood sugar levels and some really simple supplements that everything really gets better mm-hmm. I mean that's that's Not everybody I see for sure, but there is a proportion of people that that does happen with. Um, So just taking the load off the body's immune system and the gut function can actually be a really profound healing experience for them. So once I've explained why I want to do it and how, what they would learn from it, I just say like, go for it. It's like a month of your life. Yeah, and you know, get so much information. I give people like a food plan, eat this, don't eat this, keep that out. This is why we're gonna do it. And I'm like, just do it for a month. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. much time. And I yeah, people but are normally like pretty up for it.
2: And in that month, then you can work out what 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 they shouldn't be having then
3: within a month. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, certainly, because we like to do it for a month because particularly one type of antibody it has got a half-life of about 23 days, so you really if we're looking at some of the the immune reactions in the body you need to take it out for that period of time in order for those antibodies to drop. Um, and Again it's about understanding biochemistry. If I say to somebody it needs to be 23 days minimum because that's how long it takes the antibodies to get down and you need to commit to it. If you don't do it we're not going to see the result then actually when we understand why we've got to do that length of time then um, suddenly it makes sense doesn't it? It's giving people the information like you say and
0: I, I mean. I do understand why these things are daunting because I remember a time when it was daunting for me as well. So I do get it because, you know, the idea uh, we, we, you know, we all kind of have these very busy lives and the idea of then adding, you know, another facet to that um, is daunting. But like you say, I think giving people the information, really empowering them with the knowledge of what's going on in their bodies and why they have to do something
3: Mm.
0: really then offers them the understanding and, and therefore the desire to want to do it. Yeah, I think functional medicine is one of the most powerful modalities that we have around because it just gives us this knowledge.
3: Yeah, and and as I said, you know, the, the sort of section of the population that are coming to see me, they they want to change. They want to get change in their body. And for me, you know, when, when I started working on my health and my family's health, we were not in a great state. And I was like, it gets to the point where you're just going to go, okay, whatever. Like, whatever I need to do now. I'll do it. And I think there's a sort of um, a spectrum of people that I work with that that their health is not great. They've been ill for a while and they just want to get better. And a month in their life is something really worth committing to. And the thing about the elimination Diet, which I love, is it's not really expensive, you know.
1: No, yeah. It's not
3: something, it's not a big cost. Um,
1: And you probably start feeling better
3: quite quickly as well, don't you? So people are actually quite happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah there will always be some change with an elimination diet i've never had anybody do a full elimination diet and come back and say nothing happened mm. and it doesn't mean that they will get a hundred percent resolution of their symptoms and it could just be that they're sleeping a little bit better or their bowel function is improved from eight bowel movements to four bowel movements but i've, I've never had anybody do it and nothing happened that isn't again really so do you just eliminate
2: one thing per week or do you eliminate no, all? How does it kind of work? I
3: do, I do. I mean, the way that I do it in my clinic, um, obviously I'm, I would sort of check for people if they've got kind of any type of eating disorder or if their BMI was low. And, you know, those are the things I'm thinking about before I start it. But um, the elimination diet I work with would, if I was doing it with someone, say, with autoimmunity, it would be gluten, dairy, beans, grains, pulses, possibly eggs. Okay, well, no. all, in, all at the same time. All at point. once, all, all at, at once, once. So yeah.
2: Then how do you know which one of those is, so you take them all out and then you reintroduce one is that how yeah I do
3: so I take the whole lot out for about four weeks um and then we slowly add things back in again um and I normally start with um things like red lentils or mung dal those kind of dent lentils that are really easy on the oh. digestive system maybe a little bit of white rice cannellini beans quinoa so I start with those more easily digestible um beans and grains first of all and then we just kind of move through it um, it's funny you, to, to me those are
2: all like healthy things already. They wouldn't be what I would immediately think to eliminate. Those yeah. are things if I those, I think oh I'm being really healthy. But yeah. so people have allergies to those do they? Is that all? Yeah but
3: particularly, um, particularly people have issues around autoimmunity um yeah. i'm always looking for kind of beans and pulses i mean they are they are really good sources of fiber great sources of protein like lots of really fantastic things about them and not to sort of demonize any any one food group. But yeah, with autoimmunity, which many of my patients have, I'm, I'm really cautious around them. Um, and then when we introduce them back in again, I'm always really encouraging people to cook them properly. So not use the ones from tins, soak them properly overnight, cook them with maybe like some kombu and some sea vegetables, you know, like really helping the body improve the digestibility of these, these types of- and
0: Two vegetables, though. I mean, I've tried them so many times. What did you say, Two
3: veggies?
0: And they're so they. I mean, I just find them so unpalatable.
3: Yeah. What I do is get like something like a kombu, like the thick, thick one. If I'm boiling up some white rice or cooking lentils, I just put it into the cooking water. Right. And then take it out when it's finished. So you've got all the minerals actually oh, getting okay. into the cooking water. Yeah, and you won't taste them. Oh, that's can you can you
0: give us some links for those so we can put them in the show notes um sea veggies yeah, yeah
3: for sure some links
0: are some good places to get those that would be great yeah,
3: yeah. The, um, the brand I always recommend people get is clear spring which is really yeah. easily found so anything like um, kombu or wakami those kind of thicker ones or you can um yeah just put it in if or even if you're kind of making soups or stews or I'm making broth at the moment um yeah. I put it in, and then if you don't like the taste, you just take it out. I mean, in cooking, sometimes they kind of take them out and stick them in the next one. You know. They've been around
2: forever, that brand, as well, haven't they? Yeah, they have, haven't they? Mm. Yeah. Well, 20 years or so, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, obviously, quite a big um, thing that we're dealing with um, generally um, at the moment is chronic disease. So, do you think that chronic disease... Is part of uh, uh, the rise that we're seeing is genuinely all lifestyle and things that we can change.
3: Um, I think it's a combination I mean, a combination of things, Lauren. Just in the sense that it's a combination with all of these things in terms of genetics and environment and our bodies, how they're reacting to them in terms of their overall response. I mean, I see a lot of children in clinic, um, and what I see is happening over time, just in the time I've been practicing, what I'm seeing is, is very different shifts in immunity and resilience in the kids that come in to see me. And that I think is for, for, for many, many reasons. One, I think is a significant impact on the microbiome that's been altered over time, just through use of kind of antibiotics on um, pesticides, pollutants in the environment, chemicals in our food that are eating that are fundamentally shifting how our immune response is. Um, and also alongside that, big shifts in the way that our food is produced, the foods that we're eating, the stress that we're living under. Um, I think it's a combination of all those environmental factors plus a real shift in our underlying resilience of health. I think as children are being born through kind of multiple generations.
0: Mm. Yeah, so it's quite um many multifaceted.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. And can you, do you think that you can, um,
2: obviously that your body naturally detoxes from a lot of these, th- well, can detox very well. Can, with what you do, do you encourage detoxification? So if you've had a lot of heavy metals or you've been in contact with certain things, with the functional medicine, can you help people to support their de- the detoxification process? Because we're obviously picking up these, you know, environmental pollutions as well that we we can't really control. So. Is there ways you can sort of spring your body into detoxing better? Or is that just a bit of a myth?
3: Well, yes. Um, I suppose partly as a sort of nutritional therapist, I'm also... I'm just really obsessed with the gut <laughs> you know and whenever we think about detoxification we suddenly jump to the liver we're like what's happening with the liver and how's our phase one and phase two and i need to take more milk thistle and selenium and upregulate these kind of levels of, of excretion for detoxification capacity but what we forget about is that once the liver has done a really fantastic job of clearing these things out it's then going to be excreted into the bile, into the large intestine or then excreted into urine so the actual primary Route of excretion once the body's handled it is actually the intestine it's actually we've got to actually move this stuff out through our body and for many people it's the recirculation of of some of these toxins not just the fact their liver can't handle them properly so I always start when I'm thinking about detox I always start with the gut actually Um, and particularly the the way I work around with women that perhaps come with hormone problems or what is designed to kind of seen as a hormone problem, again, can be a detoxification and and bowel problem, because some of the hormones, particularly estrogen, is recycled in the large intestine, and if we don't have the right type of fermentation, if we've got something called beta glucuronidase that cleaves estrogen from the bowel, we can have what we see as hormonal problems. But actually, the problem is much more functional in terms of the gut. So it all kind of it all goes back to the gut, really, and that's the front line. So before I do any mobilisation through the liver, I'm always making sure that 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 root of excretion is open and working. It's because otherwise it's a little bit like filling up the bathtub with the water but not pulling the plug
2: yeah mm. and so do you recommend um people to do colonics or coffee enemas and probiotics and things like that or are they too strong yeah, yeah. i
3: mean i, I do yeah, yeah definitely i mean some people um find colonics and enemas super helpful and particularly it's it's really important to get that bowel clearing what you certainly don't want is your dirty rubbish sitting around in the kitchen you know my eventual aim with with often the gut testing or sometimes just just purely working with diet we want to be able to get the body working as it should and if you are really chronically constipated you know just constantly having colonics is probably not going to sort that out for you but you know just in terms of getting the waste out of the dirty kitchen I don't think it's a bad idea for some people to actually do that perhaps as a sort of short-term measure to really make sure that that plug is being emptied while we work on getting the gut working because certainly conservation and that recirculation of hormones and toxins is is really challenging for the body particularly if we're working with things like clearing out yeast or bacteria we want all that rubbish coming out so yeah i do i do i think they can be really beneficial um but if it's a long-term thing and people are having to have colonics all the time, then I really would want to look at what's happening with their gut overall.
2: Yeah. And, and probiotics as well, then, would you say? Because I, I only have really taken them if I'm going to, like, a tropical country or something. I don't
0: take them on a regular basis. I think, Lauren, you do, though, don't you? So, do you, what? Well, kind of on and off. I think um, you've, you're quite fortunate to have a really strong constitution. and I, I think supplements should be just that, supplementation, if... You're not getting what you need nutritionally for any reason or your body isn't processing it for whatever reason if you have a body that does then absolutely everything you get should come from food and we can eat fermented foods as probiotics um but when i need extra support with my immune system then yeah i will be taking probiotics and i'm giving them to the kids at the moment
3: yeah and i um on the store test that we run, we can get a pretty good idea about uh, some of the genuses of bacteria and what a certain person might be high or low on and there is huge differences I see between people on stool tests and and what those levels look like and I do often use probiotics um, in the short term to actually support people's bodies. Some people's bodies are great at colonizing probiotics and I've seen that on stool tests Um, but there's a lot of discussion now as to whether or not actually using probiotics does Kind of seed the microbiome as we were told you know a few years ago that if you take pro- probiotics and they take up residence in the gut and everything starts growing again there's definitely people i've seen in repeated testing that that doesn't happen for so i think that that judicious use of probiotics of some people when they're traveling or maybe you know if their immune system's low or things are happening can actually be really really supportive um, i'm also a massive fan of fermented foods and for my family that's what we do um every day like have some type of kraut. Uh, my lucky children or, beat the <laughs> or something like that you know we will i will have that every day um as a way of sort of feeding the the microbiome and really maintaining it but there are some people for example with high histamine levels actually having implemented foods can be really challenging for them so sometimes i'd use a kind of low histamine probiotic so i think they're really really important um and i think they can be a, a really great great health sort of assistance to people but i still think that we're still right at the very beginning of understanding Understanding what these strains do, and very specifically picking out particular strains to work on different things, like re- the research isn't there. Yeah. And
0: again, again, it's an individualised approach because one, uh, you know, a, a probiotic that works for one person might really not work for another person because we all need different strains. And come back to what we spoke about um, in the last season with Thomas Olivier, who, who um, Tilly just mentioned, was all about genetics yeah. and you know epigenetics. And that, that kind of, we all, we're all going to need something different based on our genes.
3: Yeah, and what environment we stick those genes in. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. yeah
0: big one (laughs) (laughs) I've got a question for you do you have a very interesting patient story um maybe someone that came to you really really unwell and things went really well for um or just something really interesting that could give people a bit of inspiration if they're thinking you know I'm feeling unwell and I'd like to see a functional medicine doctor but I'm not sure
3: I mean I, I tell you what the the thing that always really um I mean, I have a lot of, I mean, all my patients are super interesting. Like I've so, I'm so lucky to be in a job that is every day interesting to me. You know, every person who comes is so different. Um, the, the, The thing that always blows me away is is the people that come in where we do these incredibly simple things. I can say, like, do the elimination diet. Let's check your vitamin D levels. Let's make sure you just get enough sleep and maybe try some meditation. And literally in a couple of months, everything is shifted. You know, that that blows me away every time. But, and I think probably because so much of what I do is quite complex, I, I keep reminding myself every time when I see somebody, like, do the basics, like, do the basics. Yeah get the sleep right, get the diet right, make sure your vitamin D is okay, make sure you're rested. And and you can have like just just the most incredible change just with doing those simple basics. I often can't tell who that's going to happen for because it is on the wonder of the body and those person's genetics and how their body picks it up. But it, it inspires me every time I see it that, that the body, you just take the load off it and then you put the good stuff back in and it goes, yes, I know what to do with that. And for some people, that happens quickly. For a lot of people, it takes a really long time. But it does happen. And, and every time someone comes into my clinic and that happens, it's just like, this is amazing medicine. Because the things about what I do is there's no downside to them. You know, there's no side effect of it. It's not gonna make anything worse, you know? It's all upside, this type of medicine. So there are always gains to be had with every little change you make, no matter how small that might be. And who knows ultimately how far your body is going to respond to that. So the body is, is infinitely fascinating, and um, yeah,
2: it's amazing in a way then. So your body kind of gives you signals like you're getting these rashes, you're getting these headaches, you're getting these stomach things. That is your body's way of going,
3: "I'm not okay, I'm happy." You need to do something. Warning morning signs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And when we listen to it and then give it what it wants, um, and that might take a little bit of working out, to be honest, what exactly it wants, but it's is, is infinitely. It's always inspiring to me when that happens. And it always reminds me to help to people get the basic stuff done. And that's not necessarily needing to come and see a functional practitioner like me. There's lots people can do in terms of trying a simple elimination diet checking their vitamin D levels, making sure that they're getting adequate sleep, making sure that they've got adequate movement. And, and they can people can do that without paying to come and see me in the clinic. you know. And stress. I mean, you mentioned
0: meditation, and I love the fact that as a functional medicine practitioner, that's something that you would recommend as well, because it's showing us how much stress impacts our lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the average doctor wouldn't tell you to go and meditate. But I think, you know, It is, it's just a fundamental pillar of well being. And it's something that's just needed for every single person. Because, in, in,
3: how I look at it is stress is not something that is just happening in your brain. You know, it's not a, it's not an abstract thing happening. This is a biochemical process that the body's engaging in. You know, the hypothalamus is picking up that that we're under danger alert and it's sending messages to the gland, and that's sending messages to the green gland and then that's producing cortisol that the liver then has to clear. And then a little bit of adrenaline, and that's increasing our insulin and mobilizing our glucose. It's like stress is not, it's not, you know, something that like watching him, like something you can see that's happening out there. It's something happening in the body. It's a biochemical process that, that yes. it's inflammatory, if long-term and because of all these things that are happening. So it's, it's really important, you know, and, and to sort of ignore it is to ignore a fundamental biochemical process that the body's engaging in, many of us multiple times a day. Wow, I'm going to listen to this one again. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: listened to it a few times, it was amazing. Thank you so much. um, It's quite a nice segue for us because we are, I mean, I'm hoping that people will maybe be listening back to this in years from now, but as it stands at the moment, we are in the midst of coronavirus in March 2020 um and we didn't want to make this whole episode about that because we wanted people to just be able to understand you know what a functional approach to healthcare is but um as a functional medicine doctor do you have any tips what can we do where are we at with this there's so much conflicting information conflicting advice even conflicting statistics
3: and no one knows what to listen to yeah sure well one thing that that i talked to people about is explaining a little bit about the immune system. Because what we're all talking about is boosting our immune systems. Like how do you create resilience in our body? And we can get very stuck on these white blood cells that are moving around and in our bloodstream that we can measure and look at on a blood test and see how our immune system's functioning. But our frontline immune system, so really our frontline defense is our gut. Because if we're gonna be taking anything in, bacterias or viruses, or anything in the environment it's coming in through our nose our mouth and into our digestive tract so our frontline defense is our gut it's this kind of kilo of bacteria that we've got in here that are literally defending us and keeping our body safe so so when we think immune system we always have to think gut and so when I think that I think let's do everything we can to take the load off of it so really cutting down on you know sugar in particularly loading up on brightly covered colored fruits and vegetables that are full of phytochemicals that really support the immune system, making sure that you've got a really good amount of fiber to keep the transit time good um, and also making sure that we've got fiber to keep those bacteria happy and fed. So think about our digestive tract and then I think about probiotics and fermented foods just to really keep the whole frontline immune system working properly. And then it's just the obvious things that we should all be doing this time of winter anyway, so making sure our fat-soluble vitamins like our vitamin D and vitamin A are really in check. And most people, you can get those checked very easily online to make sure your vitamin D levels are optimal, making sure that you get enough sleep, making sure that you get enough rest so we're not stressing our immune systems. So all the things that we should be doing in the winter anyway is super supportive at this time. And I really think it's important for people to remember that, that really we're looking to maintain the resilience of our body and not overtax it at this time of year, no matter what is going on in terms of coronavirus, that actually how we look after our immune system and our overall gut is always should be our primary concern. And we can do that by making sure that we, you know, add in our fermented foods, possibly take probiotics, look at things like vitamin D and making sure that we're eating lots of brightly colored vegetables that really support us with our phytonutrients.
0: Amazing. Um, I mean, what do you make of it with all these statistics and everything? Because it's very, the, the statistics and the numbers to me seem all very flawed and conflicting.
3: Yeah, I think it creates... I think my experience and what I'm watching is it's creating a lot of fear for people, Mm -hmm. um, certainly. And I think some of that fear... Again, I mean, fear has a real impact on our immune system function and how resilient we are. So what I'm recommending just in terms of my patients is just to kind of continue their lives as they have been until we're told that we shouldn't by the government. And that's a decision for them to make around um, our movements and what we do and to continue to just do the things that they would ordinarily be doing anyway to support their immune system through the winter. Yeah. So
0: before we um, before we end the show, we uh, we always like to do this little thing. What are you into to give people a little bit of inspiration of what what's something we might be into this week? Book, food, uh, product, anything at all. Um, so is there anything you're into this week that you'd like to share, Debbie?
3: Yeah, there is, and maybe this also helps a little with the, the coronavirus. Um, so I'm I'm a massive fan of chicken broth, um, particularly during the winter and. So at the moment, my sort of um, kids are going to school, although my 18 year old was slightly less interested in taking it from college today but I always like to send them off with a little flask of of chicken broth. Um, I just think generally in the winter it's a really nourishing food, it's easy on the digestive system Um, but what I've actually been doing over the last couple of weeks is adding some things in that I don't normally, my chicken broth is normally just chicken bones and carrots and onions and maybe a bit of celery, it's pretty kind of simple but I have been adding in um, extra things like some fresh turmeric and I've been putting in shiitake mushrooms so they're things that are really Good anti-inflammatories in terms of the turmeric and also shiitake that really help support the immune system. But I've also been putting a little bit of that those sea vegetables. I was saying like the kombu in mm. there, a little bit of extra selenium, um, iodine, and zinc, those types of things that support the immune system. So I'm That's all over my chicken at the moment with a few extra little additions just to keep up our bodies and immune systems well.
0: I'm upset you didn't tell me that a few days ago because I, um, I brewed mine a few days ago. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> get that recipe. We'll definitely have to get that recipe and put it in the show notes. It's so
2: good. yeah,
3: there is, And if people are interested, there is a little video on my website just showing you how to make a simple chicken broth. or a bacon. Oh, really? um, How
0: long do you cook yours for? Because I know they say 24 hours, but sometimes it's difficult to leave the stove on for that long.
3: Yeah, I, I really recommend people get a slow cooker for making yeah. chicken broth. Um, it's just a lot easier because really, I like to suggest people cook it for a couple of days. Really, yeah, they they can. Really can. I mean, no doubt any type of cooking, even for a day is better than nothing. But I think a slow cooker and they're pretty inexpensive now. To yeah, they really it.
0: are. Um, Mine's not big enough because I make a massive thing of bone broth. The slow is not big enough, so I probably should get a bigger slow cooker. Yeah, you can get them about two litres.
3: Yeah, I think you can, which, um, and I actually tend to, I'm not sure if I should do this or not, but I, I kind of t- often would take a couple of ladle out, put it in the children's to fill it up again with water and then just keep cooking it for a little bit longer. So sometimes my bone broth will be on there for like three days. Four days. Yeah, and
2: do you just do chicken or do you do other, other bones?
3: I, I mix it up. Um, I'm generally, I think my chicken broth is tend to be a little bit more palatable, particularly for children. Beef broth is great because you can get a lot of marrow and a lot of fat out of it. Um, for some smaller children, they just find the fatty bit a little bit less palatable. But I often will make chicken broth. And if we've had, say, some lamb chops, I've kept the bones and stuck them in the freezer and then just chucked it all in together. So um, I tend to use a combination, but mainly chicken. Okay that's an amazing that's an amazing tip thank you. Do you,
0: add, do you add any collagen or gelatin to it or do you use the, the I mean it makes me feel a bit ill because obviously being a non-meat eater for so long until the end of my pregnancy um, but the chicken feet because they add a lot of extra. Yeah gelatin, don't
3: they? yeah I do and I do I do have um patients who uh, have chickens and they've bought me bags of chicken feet in and it's a bit weird, but it does make a massive difference. <laughs> I
0: actually get get it from um, this organic farm, and they they save them. And because um, I think an important thing to note about about bone broth is that it should be, you know, fully organic.
3: Yeah, yeah, completely. And animal. the thing about the, the collagen, particularly with the, the chicken feet, is it, it's useful for people with digestive disorders. In particular, that collagen can be really helpful, um, just in terms of helping rebuild that epithelial level in the gut. So, um, kind of marrow, bones, you know, connective tissue, chicken feet, actually, mm-hmm. therapeutically quite quite helpful.
0: Yeah, we'll put your uh, we'll put the link to your recipe in the show notes. Yeah you what are you
2: into? Oh, okay, so um, I have been taking this week, which is really lovely. Um, I've been making lots of smoothies at home, so we've been having lots of in the morning smoothies with chia seeds and frozen berries, and um, and then this lovely powder by a company called Supernova, and it's a fully vegan plant protein powder, and it's got ashwanga in it and chaga and red maca, and it's sort of just like a healthy protein. So I've been having that for breakfast, which I love. Well and um yeah it's really nice so that's my the other I mean I've been doing the the nectar and hive the honeys and the ginger and the lemon and the vitamin c and so we've been doing that every day and um yeah the mornings are great at the moment feeling really good
0: <laughs> these good immune immune system builders yeah absolutely well my, my mine's vitamin c at the moment because I'm just um I think like also, the panic is creating, you know, it's this psychosomatic thing, so everyone around me seems to feel ill, um, you know, having this, like, sore throat, or, like, you feel something's coming on, and then it goes away, and I think maybe that's a psychosomatic thing that we're creating. Oh, wow. You're looking out for it, I suppose, aren't you? I know, yeah. I've
2: been gargling salt in the morning, because I was thinking that that's a really good thing to do. Just to so care. good, Yeah. Because,
3: and particularly just in terms of, you know, just, you made me think, Natalie, around just protecting, again, our mucosa, because this is our frontline infection. So something I have been using, um, kind of going into cleaning, Walida, do a, a nasal spray. I think it's like an aloe vera nasal spray that that I've been using and if people are concerned about um, kind of, again, maintaining the whole barrier function of the body, that being the gut and everything that's coming in. So the Walida nasal spray is pretty good and you can get that quite easily online um and yeah vitamin c i forgot that one but yeah of course fantastic yeah
0: we're, we're kind of loading on, up on that at the moment i always say kind of for maintenance during you know times of nothingy stuff i use a whole food one it's for prevention ascorbic acid and then in times of illness liposomal so yeah. at the moment we're kind of using ascorbic acid and um an elderberry syrup some manuka and then before the kids go off <laughs> for the day, I spray them. I've made a spray with um, Daterra On Guard, which is a protective yeah. blend. Yeah, we have that um, one. Oh, it's amazing. So I've made a spray with it. So I just look like, oh, quick before you leave the house, just spray mm-hmm. them. And then, like, um, diffusing oregano oil at night. And then I'm putting the colloidal silver um, gel, like Silver Shield gel, on their hands instead of antibacterial.
2: It's funny that at this sort of time, everybody wants it as well. They're like, "Yeah, okay, I'll have some." Yeah, mum, sure, I'll
0: have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, have, you, have you got a stockpile of liposomal vitamin C there, Lauren? Because you can't, you can't get it at the moment. The whole country seems to have run out of liposomal. So I you- know,
0: And I'm so <laughs> surprised that people kind of like enough people knew about it. Like, they were, I seem to think that they're all going for um, toilet paper and pasta, but
2: <laughs> not in whole things.
0: Yeah. And I, don't, I don't have much, actually. I've only got a few sachets, but um, I've got enough ascorbic acid at the moment. So hoping for the best.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Debbie. We've come to the end of
2: our session, haven't we now? So it's so amazing. Yeah. And thank you for sharing so much amazing information with everybody can't wait to listen back to it myself it was brilliant
0: i know i think people are going to really take a lot away from this first of all about what functional medicine is how they can see a functional medicine practitioner what it will do for them but also about small changes that they can make for themselves and i think that's the most important thing in empowering people to take their health care into their own hands thank you, thank you so you much
2: awesome. lovely to meet thank you Michelle. debbie
0: thank you we really hope you enjoyed this episode of healthy happy home we're so grateful to every single one of you who chooses to press play. Please connect with us over on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast. We have a heap of amazing giveaways and discounts. And remember
1: to use the hashtag Elevation Nation. And if you enjoy our show, why not tell your fellow elevators about us or people who you think could benefit from each episode message. Rating, reviewing and subscribing to Healthy Happy Home will also help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. Thank you to Megahome Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Megahome.